0: This is Reimagine Law, a podcast about legal education and careers to help students navigate their career choices.
1: Welcome to Reimagine Law. Well, I'm delighted to be joined today by Lisa McClory, Business Consultant and Director at Fractal Knowledge. Well, Lisa, it's great to have you on the podcast today, sharing with our listeners your fascinating career path, which is especially relevant as the sector evolves quickly, I think, and jobs change and the skill sets change so quickly as well. So first of all, I'd like to give you a chance to introduce yourself and also perhaps start and perhaps let's start here with what you're currently doing. So your current business and your current role.
0: Thank you, Nigel. I'm really pleased to be joining today and look forward to having a chance to talk through some of the way that I see change and innovation affecting the profession, um, as well as different opportunities that there are going forward for students to take different career paths through law.
1: Fantastic. And, and Lisa, just in introducing yourself and just explaining, I, I described you as a business consultant, but also director of your own, your own business as well. So would you like to describe to the listeners what you currently do? So we'll start there. And then I think for listeners, we'll move back and think about the pathway and some of your choices and interests along the way. But let's just start with what you currently do.
0: Of course. Um, I'm a, a, a solicitor, so a non-practicing solicitor. I qualified in 2006, and currently I work as a consultant um, fairly flexibly with different types of businesses on change and innovation projects, usually where there is something at the intersection between um, data, uh, what's called ESG, environmental, social, and governance requirements, and law. Um, It's effectively, I'm working sort of as a um, flexible freelance professional support lawyer, That's a type of role in law firms which involves um, dealing with knowledge, um, managing knowledge and information, and increasingly my role involves dealing with um, data driven advanced data driven technologies like blockchain and artificial intelligence um, contract automation and smart contracts. um, So putting together solutions for clients, sometimes working with tech businesses, um, and I've worked with um, the KPMG legal technology team as well, doing various things to do with change and innovation there.
1: Wow, I mean, that's a massive range, as you say, Lisa. I mean, from my time in the law firms I was in, I remember the professional support lawyer role, PSL role, as, as you mentioned there. And obviously with the sector changing, with needs changing around technology and data, as you mentioned, and also the shift to the purpose-driven area of ESG, environment, social governance uh, areas as well. Obviously, that's something that, that's that's come in. Um, I mean, I'd love to explore more of that, but I wonder if perhaps what we should do is actually go back almost to the beginning, uh, and I suppose, the early stages of, of your thinking. Um, our listeners sometimes could be still at school and thinking about law as a career path, or they might be um, listeners who are perhaps Early on in their legal education, or beginning to make their first career choices. So, uh, how did that work for you? Uh, Perhaps let's start by saying how how did your first interest develop in law per se, and when was that?
0: Um, Yeah, sure. It feels like a long time ago now. Really, Um, I'm sure some things have changed a lot in law, but other things are probably still the same. So. Um, I started out as a trainee at DLA Piper. I studied law before that at the University of, of Durham, um, law and German law with Chinese. Um, and so I was always very, very interested in languages and wanted to work in a multinational legal environment. So um, went through an amazing training contract with DLA. Um, I think what was great about that kind of training contract in particular was just the number of other trainees in my cohort. It was a really collegiate environment. Um, and I trained in Leeds, so there were law- there were lawyers as well, trainee lawyers of you know about probably fifteen in each in each intake um, in other regional law firms too. So we were really good friends across Adelshaws, Pinsons, DLA, and Eversheds, and that was a, a really super fun time. Um, in a large firm like that, you get quite a structured training program. So um, you get to do seats in lots of the different corporate departments. Um, I yeah. think corporate, corporate tax, um, real estate, IP litigation. Um, so you're getting to be involved in big matters but also getting a lot of variety. Um, and also just some really amazing mentors um, that I had when I was working at the firm there. Um, a lot of lessons that I still remember today, you know lawyers who took the time to sit down with the trainees and show us how to properly fill in statutory books or give us lessons in um, client management. So so that, yeah, that was a really, really good time. Um, I actually moved on qualification to Slaughter in May, where I worked in the corporate team as a practitioner. Um, the work type there is is mostly dealing with institutional clients, working with FTSE 100 companies, um, really highly complex work with a lot of autonomy. Um, and that, yeah, it's busy, but very, very... Um, you know of that time i think of the amount of responsibility that i had as a junior then um being able to run large uh, multinational restructurings um it was a really amazing time that let me learn a lot about um legal practice um yeah so moving on from uh, i moved on from slaughter may actually because i was quite interested in i've always been interested in different types of business how yeah. things work that's you can You can probably want to get involved in law for many, many different motivations. Mine was I'm just fundamentally nosy about systems, uh, which is why I was quite drawn to corporate work in particular. Um, And so I moved on from there to work with a smaller practice called Lupton Fawcett in Leeds, where I stayed as a corporate practitioner for a while. Um, That equally was really good for, for different reasons. It was more of a human element. So rather than dealing with, on the other side, a general counsel. Uh, who's a professional lawyer you're actually dealing with the business owners themselves often dealing with divestments of businesses at the end of someone having spent their whole life building it up um and just from a kind of um yeah that this sort of personal perspective it was really enjoyable doing that um started to build up a charities practice there and then shifted across to Wrigley's which was the chambers tier one ranked um charities law firm in Leeds uh, in order to get more and more in-depth experience of working with social enterprises
1: Oh, so that's interesting, Lisa. Just just to explore that, as you said, because you talked about Slaughter and May, big corporates, as you say, very institutional type, type work. And, and your your pathway now, as you describe it, takes you a little bit towards the charities, the social enterprises. Was that something, was that almost about the scale of things that or the, the types of issues that you found you you could um, get involved with and be nosy about to use your language in those in those types of clients? Or was it a little bit around the purpose of those clients and those sectors was it or is it a mix of all th- of all those things
0: yeah definitely an element of of those of all of those things the attraction for working at Wrigley's was the ability to work with uh, uh, Malcolm Lynch who's still practicing now he's one of the foremost practitioners in cooperatives and social economy law um you know he's he's been the pioneer in that area since probably the the 1980s I think um and um he Um, sort of took me on board and we were able to work with microfinance institutions um, on complex corporate matters but for businesses that were trying to do good whilst also making a profit which so we obviously did charities work as well but what I found really interesting was that it's possible to run your business in such a way as to both promote social good and environmental Mm -hmm. benefits whilst also um, requiring to rely on on public or charitable funding and that's sort of major systemic change, which I found really appealing as an idea, because if you can create a self-sustaining business model like that, then you can affect positive change for forever. You know, you're not reliant upon going back for funding continually. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we had some amazing clients there. And I suppose after about five or six years of doing that, I had the opportunity to go back and work with Slaughter and May again. Um, and I'd been doing sort of um, at Wrigley's I'd been working as a solicitor but also as a professional support lawyer and it was a really interesting role because I, I like research and going back down to Slaughter May is offered the opportunity to focus on um general meetings and corporate governance um mm-hmm. which is very relevant to charities because governance is such a, a highly focused high fo- focused part of uh, charitable work as well but looking at um at Slaughter and May in a PSL capacity, it was just around about when the Modern Slavery Act was coming in, um, and there was a raft of transparency-led reporting and disclosure requirements that just came into effect during my time at Slaughter's okay. as a PSL, so um, it was a really great opportunity to get to grips with that knowledge, to understand the implications for that on listed companies and on um, Slaughter and May's lawyers practice as well and I suppose that I've carried that on now I do have quite a large focus on corporate governance um presently I'm working with um, an American tech company on automation of climate risk disclosures um which feed into the annual reporting process um so we're we'll yeah. on a product called Equalier, which we're going down to the um chartered what well, used to be called ICSA the Chartered Secretaries Association but the it's now called the Chartered Governance Institute Um, to launch that in about a week's time. So, um, yeah, just um, still working in that area of um, looking at climate risk, looking at how companies are disclosing and thinking about the implications that has for the regulatory agenda when you've got Mm. large extended supply chains, very big businesses. How can any single government... Um, effectively regulate well the answer is that they put in place transparency requirements and um, the reputational element forces change for the better.
1: So that's really interesting so as you say it it was moving back to a you say you'd always like research so it was gravitating back doing lots of client work enjoying that then gravitating back towards knowledge research interest in regulation interest in as you say how does it impact businesses so sustainability of businesses as well. Um,
0: Yeah exactly and I think this is a really big Trend right now, it's amazing mm. how much um, ESG, environmental, social, and governance um, themes have taken hold in the last couple of years. Mm. Um, it was viewed in in, in by many people as, as sort of CSR or something voluntary that businesses yeah. did, and that businesses should be all about profit and very much a marginalised opinion that businesses could ever prioritise anything other than shareholder mm. value. It's amazing. It's amazing to see in recent years how esg has become such a central part of business and i feel mm. quite optimistic about that in yeah. in the way that going forward into the future i hope that the next generation uh, will be able to bring more esg focus into businesses um and so that you can see all of the businesses impacts as part of the way that business should be conducted mm. um mm. and it, yeah certainly pressures from a lot of different angles um To to encourage more focus in that um, there are increasing um, strands of climate litigation and ESG focus litigation across all areas. Um, It's becoming, um, you know, consumer preferences are changing towards sustainability. It's a brand issue. um, And also the sustainable finance led agenda, which requires companies um, to, um, if they want to raise capital, to deal with ESG factors effectively.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because I was just going to say that actually, it's interesting, I was just going to ask your opinion, because it's almost why has that become more central, because as you say, it certainly has, and we know that behaviour changes sometimes, is it because of your customers, as you say, which you touched on there, is it almost a brand issue, is it, is it almost you need to put, do you, do you drive change in this area by actually saying, right, we're going to put down regulation, and we're going to in effect force you to take this seriously, what do you so did, did you? Is your conclusion it's actually been a mix of factors? It's been a little bit of stick and a little bit of carrot almost um, with customers and staying in your market and having a, a brand that allows you to be sustainable as a business. Is that is that is it a mix of things? Do you think?
0: I, th- I think the government has actually been very innovative about the way in which the regulations have come in. Looking Mm. at the Modern Slavery Act, it didn't say you must eradicate slavery in your supply. Well, it did say that as well. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Section 54 of the Modern Slavery Act actually says that businesses have to disclose what they're doing about it. And then it puts in place some recommendations that they have to conduct due diligence. You have to carry out training. This has become a template for further transparency led regulation such yeah. that it starts small and then builds and grows over time. Because I think the challenge of putting in place regulation into mm-hmm. an area like ESG is, well, what should the regulation say? Yes. And i are seeing this with artificial intelligence as well at the moment where people are saying, well, what, what's AI ethics mean? That there yeah. is new AI regulation, which is going um, through the European Union processes at the moment, Mm. um, the Artificial Intelligence Act, and there's a lot of debate about which bits of it are high risk and should be prohibited, like public biometric surveillance is one area where the European Data Protection Supervisors have said, um, the EDPB, sorry, the European Data Protection Board have said um, that they think it should be outright prohibited. Yes. And the, and then um, the proposal at the moment is it should be permitted with limited circumstances. There's so many different ethical debates, and I think if you want to take a market-led approach, why hmm. did eradicate high-risk areas? It, it does make sense because then once you start getting businesses disclosing, well, what are they doing about it? What risks do they have? You can start to quantify those risks and write more effective yeah. regulation that's more yeah. likely to be enforceable.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. So actually. Because I hadn't thought of it like that, Lisa. Right, as you say, I suppose if the first step is what we are going to tell you, you must do is disclose or be more transparent. Then, actually, as you say, first of all, it gives you more data, doesn't it? To almost allow you to say, okay, well, if that's what everyone's doing in the market, how do we deal with that? Or
0: yeah, exactly. And I think, but I think the problem that that then does lead to is a collision of lots of standards, which is something that ESG right. definitely suffers from. And it's very interesting at the moment to see how those standards are being converged. There's a okay. need- a working group um that was launched at last year's cop 26 conference mm-hmm. and that is is trying to get a set of metrics agreed so that companies can disclose climate risk in a way that's comparable yes there's need and not not just because well, obviously climate risk is a concern for humanity a major concern for humanity um but if you want investors to focus on it then mm. investors also need to sort of price the risk because they've got a much narrower range of things that they look at unfortunately and so if if you can't compare one company against another and know whether or not the factories are going to be written off or mm. the many many ways in which climate risk can impact on a on a business on workforce on human health on um, assets that the business has that's just completely unpriced at the moment um need these metrics to to be agreed so it's very welcome that there is that focus
1: yeah that's that's fascinating isn't it um i mean lisa just going through this and not only have you had a very broad career and all the the roles you've had you know the work you do now as you say you do a lot of work a lot of varied work in in your own business uh working as a consultant all these different different types of projects Uh, again just just helping people I'm always trying to think how can we help people making or thinking and looking ahead towards their careers and thinking what what they might like to think about. Was there something there do you think uh, around breadth versus depth in terms of some of your career choices al- along the way in terms of what was it is it something that looking back you you think oh actually do you know what's been really interesting for me is I've realized that I like doing lots of different things or is it about you know I don't know is it about going deep in a certain issue and then evolving that into another one. I, I'm just curious how you, how you see some of the choices you've made, perhaps.
0: I, I think it's very useful to know yourself and know what you enjoy doing. I've yeah. always known that I like doing complex technical work and I'm not yeah. afraid to learn something new. So I look for yeah. those opportunities and it doesn't really matter if that involves me venturing into a new area of law. Yeah, I've had some really inspirational mentors along the way, um, mm. particularly... Francis Murphy who was one of the partners at Slaughter and May during my time was a fantastic lady and she used to say everywhere tries to encourage you to put yourself in a little tiny box uh, yeah. I never do that I don't think uh, you should feel that you can you are capable and confident and intelligent and, and our lawyers should feel like they can approach any problem and yeah. that's very empowering to be able to think that as long as you're willing to put the time and effort into learning, you can do that. And the lawyer's skill set's incredibly transferable. Mm. Tech is increasingly a technology is increasingly a major part of the lawyer's role. Whether that means you're a specialist practitioner who has a lot of knowledge about the law, or you are more tech focused in terms of doing formation mm-hmm. of, of of legal agreements, I think either way um you need to be conversant with data structures and with yeah. the way in which legal uh, well technology technological systems use legal information mm-hmm.
1: in order to mm-hmm.
0: practice competently going into the and, and,
1: and when you say data structures there Lisa again just for our listeners so how, uh, what do you mean by that so as you say because because you see it seems that you feel that's really important so when yeah. if they're conversant in data structures what does that mean
0: that means if Taking the example of different roles, I suppose. So, if you are um, advising, um, if you're an in house lawyer, for instance, yep. and you want to help business, your business to self serve, which is increasingly something you may need to do. Yep. You want to put your information into a knowledge system or some sort of application. You need to understand how best to set up the information, which means you need some understanding of how. A database would best be set up on psychology of questions that you might ask if you're putting in place a chatbot or something like that. And there are these these projects are becoming more and more common. Um, In 2017 or so, I don't really think many of the law firms were doing legal technology at all. And increasingly, Mm. I'm seeing more and more legal ops roles and legal tech roles coming up. There are possibilities now to qualify in as a legal technologist or legal ops professional Mm. from the beginning. So yeah, if, if you don't want to have to rely on other people, which personally I never like doing, I like to understand things, it's very good to just, even if you understand basically how Excel works and how you would set up information in Excel as opposed to just using Word all the time, yeah useful. Um, but going beyond that, if you perhaps a corporate practitioner, you would need to understand how uh, an artificial intelligence system gets information about a transaction you're working on when yeah. I qualified trainees used to go and sit in a little room, looking at contracts and writing up templates. Now the AI system does that and you need to understand how it works, how to train it, and the algorithms it's utilizing so that you can understand the ethical and risk implications of deploying that technology. Just these tech tools are, are becoming more and more, um, more and more a part of day-to-day legal practice.
1: Now, I think that's right, isn't it? And as you say, things like the chat boxes, and I know some law firms now, as, as we, you know, as many of our listeners will know, of inventing their own apps or their own uh areas where they work uh, work with share shared areas with clients where they're both working on documents together or as you say automating automating various documents too.
0: Even even sharing a document with a client we're told now not to share documents by email because it's very insecure. So but if you're making a document accessible to a client using say SharePoint or something like that, you need mm. to understand the permissions and make sure there's it's it's not at risk of being lost and having a data breach
1: yeah absolutely and and so as you say given the, the importance of data security now that that becomes really important doesn't it um at least if we just i'm conscious of time if we, if we just just move on i mean something you've touched on Elizabeth, we talked about ethics um a lot and you've talked also about the importance as your career has developed of many almost values driven Type um, type work that you've done, or cl- types of clients that, that, that you've worked for as well, or sectors that you've enjoyed working with. And uh, I was just thinking, and, and actually, it's interesting. We spoke to listeners on our very first podcast about you know think about uh, think think about your think about your purpose, think about what drives you. Um, I don't know if there was just a, a thought from you to share around. Again, looking back on on your career how important this has been to you as you've made your career choices about the types of organisations and the type you've worked for, the types of work you've done, and almost where you've got your energy from. I mean, you've hinted at that a bit already, but um, so a few questions there, sorry, I've merged them all together, around sort of the values, some of the choices you've made, and yeah, and and where you found you've got energy from in in your roles.
0: Yeah, thank you, Nigel. Um, Yeah, I, I suppose values have been a large motivator for me throughout my practice, which is why I chose to work with Wrigley's, with the sorts of organizations that I worked with there. Um, And then subsequently focusing my role on um, corporate governance and ESP afterwards. And now I think there's a really big opportunity for law firms to do more, and also for law students to influence the way that Mm -hmm. law firms approach environmental, social and governance and, and values. because I don't think it is it's not very easy for a law firm to just be agnostic you have to take more of a values driven approach all Mm. all businesses increasingly are doing that um but there are some very nuanced considerations around well what kind of clients are you happy asking for for, and um what sort of work do you want to devote your life to to doing um Mm. in my business in fractal I try to focus on helping clients which are either either social enterprises and purpose driven or which are normal businesses that are in some way working towards a more um responsible way of operating mm. so that might mean you know the sorts of projects i've done recently in addition to the this climate risk um disclosure application have been helping a business with inclusion and diversity requirements so using oh, technology to put in place um supplier yeah. survey for inclusion and diversity requirements yeah um and then working also with the chancery lane project which is a, yeah. a climate risk charity for the legal sector helping them to look at their technology and accelerate their potential to have impact and um, what they do is create template clauses and um, the clauses can be put into supply chains and businesses can then get to a well, put carbon faster because the drafting's already there. So they coordinate working groups ah,
1: got it. and yeah.
0: come together and put in place these, these clauses and they make them available.
1: And something you've hinted at there, Lisa, I suppose, is that there's a lot of collaboration. Something just strikes me from a few from a few things you've said is there's a lot of collaboration going on quite often around these issues. I mean, as you just said, there, the Transfer Lane project, because I think there have been lots of I mean, there are lots of firms involved in that yeah. thing, have not they?
0: Yeah, yeah, there are hundreds and hundreds of law firms involved. Um, it's It's got a lot of energy and it's a really interesting project, but I, I agree. I think um, it's one of it's one of the most interesting things that's happened in legal practice at the moment is just these new ways of collaborating, whether that's mm. client working with law firms to develop new standards and templates or um, open source initiatives in law. An yes. um, organization that I've just started to get involved with is NOS Legal. Okay, Uh, yeah. Lost Eagle um, is expressly just an an open source initiative for lawyers. They've been creating standards and frameworks which can be utilised by law firms in their knowledge systems. So there's a taxonomy of of legal work, a taxonomy of legal places. Um, And so I'm really looking forward to working more with them and exploring different areas where we can create benefit for clients and for for business um, through open sourcing frameworks and materials. it's quite a departure from the way law has been, perhaps in the past, around sort of every every firm has its own proprietary set of.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what strikes me in terms of in terms of shifts, as you say, when you think over the last 10, 10, 15 years or so, you know, it perhaps was the case more that as you say, things were developed within a firm, and that's how, you know, that's or within each firm actually. And 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 now we're seeing um, and again, is that is that driven, what's driving that Lisa? Is that driven by a Almost like a thought that well, actually, this is not giving us any competitive advantage as an organisation, and actually, we should be doing this on behalf of the sector. Is it? I'm just curious what's driving the collaboration because they can because firms as businesses, of course, kind of have the point of view of thinking, well, actually, you know, what's what's in our interests here. So it's interesting there is collaboration here. That's what I'm thinking.
0: It, it is, yeah. I I would say, I would say technology is probably a, a key driver there because okay. in, back in the day, if you take take a taxonomy of legal work. If you didn't have knowledge systems or um, the ability to use, say, artificial intelligence to find stuff out in documents, um, you would have to just keep your files on paper, as you did back in the day, on a shelf. In which case, every single department can just have its own filing system. It doesn't really matter. But if you really if, if increasingly information is going into a cloud based system and people need to be able to search and find things, there's just much more of an incentive for there to be some standardization poses mm. so increasing recognition of the interconnectedness of legal practice um, and clients are looking for new solutions because I, I just think law has increased over the years when I've been in practice the yeah. volume of regulation has increased and it's become really difficult for any single lawyer or compliance professional to cope with therefore having to use technology to deal with it some people say, well, that's not helping. We should just cut down, but <laughs> it's not like it's happening anytime soon. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so there's pressure there really from, from clients as well as to think about, well, how can how can law firms do things in a slightly different way? And, and certainly there are um, legal practitioners like myself who have stepped off the normal way of doing things and gone out to set up an independent business just to see well, what opportunities are there out there mm-hmm. to work with mm-hmm. different organisations and and to try and create innovation.
1: Yeah, and just and and perhaps just to end just to end, Lisa. In uh, so sitting where you are now and the way your careers develop, the various choices that you've made along the way, um, do you think if you were to if you were if you were your younger self talking a, a number of years before, do you think you'd be surprised where you've ended up, or, or would that be, or, or do you think it was always likely that this type of pathway? Uh,
0: No, actually, I probably would because back in the day, I was absolutely committed to being a lawyer. I loved it, so I would not. I probably wouldn't have expected to. um, It was only. It's actually only this year that I stopped practicing and um, Mm. and become a business consultant um, for the time being. Really, so yeah, I, I probably always thought that I would do the standard thing and go up the partnership track, but it's been so interesting dealing with technology there's so much opportunity that
1: yeah that
0: that's just the way things have have led me so it's been (laughs) it's fun and it's been fun and it it remains that way so um someone once said to me when you run your own business you have little adventures along the way which is certainly true
1: (laughs) very good (laughs) Um, Um, and perhaps that's a lovely place to end at least so you know it's been as you say up to now it's been a really interesting adventure you know moving as you said from the whether it was a being a trainee and then an associate, moving across to the um, the knowledge area, moving into lots of technology, lots of um, work around the regulatory side and, and the ESG side, and and thinking about data, as, as you said, as well. So, you know, fascinating pathway. And, and we hope, you know, I hope for our listeners that really paints a picture of some of the pathways that are now becoming possible. And you've hinted, throughout, Lisa, as you say, of more types of whether it's legal tech, legal ops roles that are now open. I've spot, you know, I've noticed over the last year, more graduate pathways now or even apprentice route pathways that are all different ways into the legal sector that are opening up. And as you say, there are, it's much more plural. I think, the, the, you know, the opportunities now, you know, it's not one one path and then branch out later. It's absolutely find your own way i think is, is is you're a great example of so so it's been a pleasure thank you very much lisa for your time and for talking us through that and uh, for listeners we hope that's been an interesting example of of as i say different types of path pathway choices that lisa's made um the way that tech and data is coming into the legal world um and how some of the fascinating uh, areas that lisa talked about around sort of regulation and how that's being dealt with and also the collaboration point that came through as well so uh, So yeah, some some great points there. Lisa, thank you very much. We'll be putting the show notes with the summary up on the podcast platform. Also with those actions and ideas for things you could be doing based on what you've learned in this podcast. And we hope you'll be tuning in again soon to Reimagine Law.